I accidentally deleted that last verse on my iPad, so I got confused there for a moment. But anyways, uh, the text for the sermon this day is taken from Luke 16, which was read earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now before I begin walking a little bit through this text, it's important to kind of look at a little detail about it. Now, this is commonly known as the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. But there's actually something a little, that his title is kind of missing part of the story. If you're to go throughout the parables of the, of the Bible, the parables of Jesus, you'll notice that there's a kind of a pattern to some degree, especially in the way that the parable is introduced. Usually the parable begins with some type of uh, introduction saying that it'll, be, it'll say like Jesus proceeded to tell a parable. Or it might be that Jesus might say the kingdom of heaven might be compared to this. And another thing is that normally the people and the locations in the parable are usually kind of vague. There's no identity as to who they are. Or where it's happening. There are two parables that fall into the exception. And that one of those is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the other one is this parable. And throughout the history of the church, the reason they argue it is different is because unlike the other parables, Jesus is actually telling a true story. Now, the way is when he tells the story of Lazarus and the rich man, this is not a hypothetical story, but something that actually he knows happened. And he's using this true story in the form of a parable. So considering that fact, this is, we begin, it begins on verse 19. 
Jesus said there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. So we have in the text that this man, he wears purple, which in ancient times, purple was a sign of wealth. Because I don't know if you're familiar with how purple was discovered. I mentioned it before, but for those who haven't heard it. Uh, Purple was discovered where a man was walking along the beach of the Mediterranean Sea and he saw his dog coming to him and he saw on the the jaws of his dog was covered with this purple um, substance. Of course, they didn't call it purple yet because they didn't have to discover purple yet. But it was what it looked like. And so he was trying to figure out where it came from and he looked over and he saw that he, this dog had been chewing down on some snails along the sea. And that is how purple, for the longest time, was extracted from the blood of snails and mollusks. So they, that's where the dye was made from. So the only people who could wear purple were the wealthiest of the wealthy. That's why in ancient times you'd always see kings wearing purple. That was them letting you know they are rich. And so this is letting you know that this rich, this, how rich this man is. He is able to afford to wear the color purple. By the way, if you're wondering, purple in general is not made for the blood of snails anymore. Although, some, although Tyrian purple, if you ever find it, is still made out of that. But anyways, so this is how wealthy this man is. And he has so much food, more than he would ever need. And yet, just outside his gate, he has this man, Lazarus, covered with sores. Lazarus would desire to even have the scraps that fall from this rich man's table. But he received no help. Moreover, Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So in other words, nobody showed any compassion upon this man except the dogs would lick his sores. No one cared for him. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. Which, by the way, this is where there's a hymn that I sing next to bedside when somebody passes away. And that song is, the third verse is, Lord, let at last thine angels come. That's the only line I know by heart right off the top of my head. But eventually says something about to Abraham's bosom side. That's based off of this verse. And remember, if we're talking about, if Jesus is talking about this as a true story, You're getting a little image of what happens when you die. The angels come and take you to heaven. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades. Hades, if you're familiar with Greek mythology, was the place of the dead. Jesus is using that language, but he is actually referring to hell. Yes, hell, a real, torturous, 
awful place. So he was buried and in Hades, being in torment. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. You got a vision of how horrible hell is. He is so anguished by the flame, so desperate for something to drink, that he is, he is saying, send Lazarus to just put a little, think about how, if you were to put, take your finger, dip it into a, a lake or whatever, how much water would come off of that finger? Not much. But he is so desperate for thirst that he would even take that little itsy-bitsy drop. That is what hell is. That is where this rich man is. And why is this rich man there? Because his God was mammon. His money. His possessions. He cared nothing for those who were around him. As it says in 1 John, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother <clears throat> does not love his brother whom he has, has, he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You cannot hate your neighbor and also love God. To hate your neighbor is to hate your God because God created your neighbor. And Jesus died for your neighbor. But this man, this rich man, had no love for Lazarus. In fact, he gave no thought to him, did not care about him, barely even noticed him. Instead, he was consumed by his riches, eating far more than he could ever, he would ever need, getting fatter and fatter, and never serving the one outside his gates. How many of you have had this experience? You're walking downtown of a city, or wherever it might be, and somebody comes up to you and asks you for a little bit of money to help them out. Raise your hand if you've ever had that happen. A few more were last, raised their hand last night. I've had that happen several, multiple times. What are we to do when that happens? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand to say what you did. But according to Scripture, what is it that we're supposed to do in those moments? This is what Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke. He says, but I say to you, to you who hear, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. 
Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand it back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. There's the golden rule right there. Again, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 12. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, the large, Luther's large catechism deals with this question. In this, when talking about the fifth commandment, which, think of your commandments, the fifth commandment is you shall not murder. He says... This commandment is violated not only when we do evil, but also when we have the opportunity to do good to our neighbors and to prevent, protect, and save them from suffering bodily harm or injury, but fail to do so. If you send a naked person away when you could clothe them, you have let, the, let him freeze to death. If you see anyone who is suffering from hunger and do not feed her, you have let you have let her starve. Likewise, if you see anyone who is condemned to death or in similar peril and do not save him, although you have means and ways to do so, you have killed him. It will be of no help for you to use the excuse that you did not assist their deaths by word or deed. For you have withheld your love from them and robbed them of, their, of the kindness by means of which their lives might have been saved. Therefore, God rightly calls all persons murderers who do not offer counsel or assistance to those in need and peril of body and life. He will pass a most terrible sentence upon them at the last day. It's Christ himself declares. He will say, I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. That is to say, you would have permitted me and my family to die of hunger, thirst and cold, to be torn to pieces by wild beasts, to rot in prison or perish from want. Again, Luther talks in the seventh commandment. Seventh commandment, you shall not steal. He says, enough has been said about what stealing is. It should not be narrowly restricted, but it should pertain to anything that has to do with the neighbor. We are forbidden to do our neighbors any injury or wrong in any way imaginable, whether by damaging, withholding, or interfering with their possessions and property. We are not even to consent to or permit such a thing, but are rather to avert and prevent it. In addition... We are commanded to promote and further our neighbor's interests. And when they suffer any want, we are to help, 
share and lend to both friends and foes. We are to help both our friends, our family, and our enemies when they are in need. Jesus said it. Love your, that you are to give to your enemies. If your enemies are hungry, give them food. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. But how often... When we see somebody in need, we come up with reasons to not. The most common of which is, well, they're just a, if they would just do, live their life a little bit better, they wouldn't need help. Just get, your, get their act together. Or we might say, say, well, you know what? I got myself to this way on my own. I didn't need any help, neither should they. Or we might excuse ourselves, well, you know what? They're just going to use it for booze or drugs or whatever, so there's no reason we should ever help them. But Scripture says that we are to love, we are to help even our most bitter of enemies. And if you're wondering who Jesus is to say that, you are, were his enemy. And yet he shed his very blood on the cross for you. If you want to get a small image of what that means, this is Memorial Day weekend. We remember the soldiers who have died defending the freedom of this nation. And yet in this country, we so easily take for granted the freedoms we have. How many of us ever truly treasure the fact that we have the freedom of speech, the freedom of press, the fact that we can gather and worship our God without fear of somebody breaking down the doors, putting a gun to our head, and telling us to stop or die. If we actually took that into account, the churches should be filled to the brim. You're free to do it out, without fear. Yet we had soldiers that's, that died that you, I suppose, that you could have that freedom. The freedom that the early Christians did not. The early Christians, they couldn't build, meet in a big church like this. They had to meet in the, cat, the catacombs. They had to meet surrounded by bodies that had been buried. Because that's the only place they could find where they wouldn't be caught and put to death while they're in the process of worship. Christ gave himself up for his enemies. He gave up his life for you. And that love of Christ, that amazing grace, should compel us to love those who are in need. When somebody comes up to you, and especially if you've never known them, you have no reason, you have no way to know what their story is. Unless you have a really good reason, and even if you don't, somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I need some help financially. And if you are, physic if you are financially, physically able to do it, your answer should every time be, sure, I can help you out. Every time. 
But we don't easily do that. Because we are, by our nature, we'll get self-righteous, think that we are better than that person off asking for our help, And we want to give in to the God that every single one of us has. And that is our own material possessions. And it's for this sin of pride, of arrogance, of selfishness. It's because of this that we need to be coming to the divine service every week. That we need to come to confession and absolution. Come before the feet of the the foot of the cross, begging of God's mercy, confessing our sin, that we are indeed poor, miserable sinners, deserving of all of God's wrath. And our God tells us that by the blood of Jesus, your sins are washed clean. You are made perfect. You who are his enemy are made his child, his heir. Because what you don't realize is that in relationship to Jesus, you are Lazarus. You are the one who is covered in the swords of your sin. You are the one who has nothing. But the rich man who is our God does not pass us by outside the gate and say, tough luck. Rather, he says, come on in. I paid the price. This home is yours. That is the love that Jesus has had for you. That is the love he pours out for you in baptism that he gives to you regularly in the Lord's Supper. And that is the love you are commanded to have for every other human being that you come into contact with. Think about the ways that we can help. Even if in those moments, if it happens that our congregations find ourselves with an abundance Those are opportunities to serve. When we ourselves, perhaps at the end, we don't know because the rain doesn't stop, but if we have a good harvest come fall and you find that the bank account's just a little bit better than other years, that is an opportunity. Luther made the comment that the reason why people are allowed to be rich is that you may provide for those who are not. It is being rich as a vocation to serve those who have not. May we be that way until Christ returns. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ keep in the one true faith and a life everlasting. Amen. We continue by singing hymn 798, The God of Abraham Praise. <laughs>